Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. Well, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy, and we're not going to do that today. Uh, the reason is, uh, we've got a special guest. Carol Ward is here with us today. I got to hear Carol the last three nights share her testimonies and, and the brag on what God is up to and, and her life and the ministry that they're working with in Uganda and Sudan. And, and I already planned on interviewing Carol, but she had so much to share that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give her the whole time. And so I'm going to just interview her and ask her questions about what God is doing and what she's seen God do, and let you get to hear and ask the Lord to speak to your heart. So can we all welcome Carol this morning? Are you ready? Carol, why don't you start by telling us just, uh, I mean, you went from growing up on the mission field, coming back here, being a nurse for 25 years, having a family and then taken off back to the mission field. And, I mean, that's quite a journey. And when I've listened to your stories the last three nights, I was just like, wow, what a, what a fulfilling, abundant life. Uh, share with us, if you would, how, how you began this journey of faith. Uh, a lot of us here have uh, begun a journey of faith recently. A lot uh, are thinking about journey of faith, and, and some have been in their faith for 50 years. Share with us your start and what all God's done there. And I watched a man and woman who not only loved the Lord, but believed in the power of the Word of God. So he was a man of prayer and fasting. They were uh, people of faith. They went into the villages every day sharing the gospel, seeing miracles happen. They lived the gospel in action. And uh, people of prayer and people that loved uh, the ones they were going to serve, even when the ones they were going to serve were looking for his head on a plate. So the kids of terrorists were my playmates, and I didn't have any fear. I didn't know to be afraid. But that made me so hungry and desperate as a child to say, Jesus, if we have the Word and we have prayer, we have Bibles and churches uh, in America, then how can it be that thousands upon thousands of people around the world have never even heard your name? And so when I came back to America as a child for furloughs and I saw that, I began uh, weeping even as a kid saying, God, send me where no one wants to go to do anything you want done. And, and I lay my life down for the gospel. So I would read books on uh, martyrdom and Fox's Book of Martyrs and say, our lives today are so different than the New Testament church. Mm. They said yes to Jesus and they're ready to die because they're not their own. They're bought with a price. And so, you know, we just took communion. And I, I think that the word communion means come have union, doesn't it? Mm. And so when we say to the Lord, we're having communion, it's not just to remember you, it is, but it's to follow you. Amen. It's to pick up our cross and follow him because that's what a disciple means. And that means anywhere, anytime, for anything to tell anyone. And, and so I said, Lord, 
use me in that. You left 99 to go after one, so I want to go with you because I love you. And there's a job to be done. Every one of us has a mission still to be fulfilled. Amen. So, so God began to birth that even as a child. Yes. That hunger. And you shared with us just the role your dad had in that, your mom, seeing their faith. And because you guys lived in a place where, I mean, the terrorism was just a way of life. And, and yet your dad and your mom walked by faith daily, right? So what, what a powerful heritage to start with. And it may be that none of us have that heritage, but moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, best friends, and we can display that character for our kids and our grandkids. We, we can walk by faith here, believing God for the impossible. It may look a little different, but I thought it was really cool the way you said that was poured into you as a child. Okay, so then you, you come back to America, you go to college, and you, you get your nursing degree, you nurse for 25 years, and then you said that God used that as a preparation ground for where you're at now because of your ministry with folks that were addicted, and share with us just how he began to prepare your heart even though you didn't know you were going over there. Right. Well, we're called to be missionaries no matter where we are because you have a, you have a mission. And every, everyone that has a mission uh, has a message. And he's given us a message, and it's the power of the cross. So we know we're called. If you're born, born again, you know Jesus, you have a calling. And so as I served in the hospital, I made every single hospital room an altar of prayer. And I would lead people to Jesus, and, and, and I'd work in the streets with heroin addicts. I'd bring them home, give them my bed, sleep on the floor, watch them go through, you know, being completely set free. And um, when addiction is there in a person's life, so is the occult. So I was seeing the occult of Satanism and all kinds of things at another level. And I thought, I'm not prepared for this. I got to learn. I started learning about spiritual warfare and, uh, and, and working with street kids and all kinds of things. But I was so passionate for souls, even in America, even in the hospital, that my motto became what Smith Wigglesworth said, a soul a day keeps the devil away. Well, I don't know how many people there are here today, but what if each one of us had that motto and each one of us won one soul a day to Jesus? Can you imagine? That would be revival. Yeah. And, and so one time I was actually in my living room in Oklahoma, and this is how he was preparing me for nations because you don't go to Africa to, uh, to experiment. You better go to Africa and know how to fight some devils and win some souls because it's, it's spiritual warfare in your face over there. I didn't know God was going to take me to Africa, but I said, if I can't go there, I'm a missionary at home. And so one day I was in my living room, and I said, that's a nice sofa over there. All my furniture was, you know, used or garage sale. And I said, that's a nice sofa. And I heard the Lord say, you want the sofa or do you want souls? And I looked at that sofa, and I said, well, that's maybe worth 100 bucks. How many souls could I get for 100 bucks? I'm going to send that to India because I know they're getting about, you know, a dollar for, you know, a soul or something like that. <laughs> So I sold my sofa. I stuck it out in, the, out, in, out in the driveway. And I said, I'd rather have souls than a sofa. Well, it sold just like that. I put a sign on. Then I said, let me take all the rest of the furniture. I emptied my house. I put everything. I put my dishes. I put my cupboards and my beds. Every bit of furniture out there. And it was just selling like hotcakes. And the house was totally empty. And I said, God, I got all this money now. I can get souls in India while I'm winning them in America. And somebody came to visit me. And they said, are you moving? And I said, I said, no, I'm just passing through. And you know, we are only passing through in this Amen. life. Amen. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is temporal. And yet we're laying up treasures on earth. Well, my goodness, they're going to blow away in a second one day, just like a tornado or a hurricane come through. We're not going to take them with us to heaven. It's only what we've done for eternity that counts. And there's only two things that are eternal. Only two things. The word of God and the souls of men. So if we want to deposit into eternity for eternal investment, eternal reward, it has to be in those two things. And that was very real to me in Oklahoma. That was my training ground to prepare me for Africa. As you, as you brought people in, you share with us that you brought in heroin addicts and ministered to them. You poured into foster kids, raised your own three kids. And as you did that journey, you even started a business. And then all of a sudden, God shifted things. Tell us about that shift, because I think that's where a lot of us in here are, right? You get up each day, you go to work, you pay your bills, and you, you try to follow Christ in that journey. And so many of us are in that place. And I want to challenge you today to put your yes on the table that you'll let the Lord disturb you, that you'll let the Lord in this testimony move you in a way that you'll put your yes on the table wherever that may be. Um, Carol had the gift of being a nurse, but that's not where God moved her to. Tell us how he moved your heart with the praying over the nation's and how he got you to where you are today. Prayer is, is what gets us in line with the Father's perfect will for our future and our destiny. And as I prayed for the nations, I would get maps out of unreached people groups and of nations of the world, and I would lay across them just weeping in my living room in my prayer time every day. Because he said in Psalm 2.8, ask me for nations. I'll give them to you. To me, that's my American dream. I want the inheritance of souls to take with me to heaven. And so I'd weep over these nations. And one day I did take a short-term trip to Uganda. Never thought I would, but because I thought, well, you go, you go for life, you know. But I said yes, and I, and I went. And I met a missionary in the nation that was Campus Crusade for Christ. And he was about 80 years old. And he said, I need a sabbatical. And so his wife had had a stroke. And he said, will you come and lead the campus for me for a year so I can, you know, take a rest? I said, well, sure I will. I prayed about it and said yes, but I knew that wasn't the place I prayed where send me where no one wants to go because it was pretty safe. But I went for a year, and God had taken the nation. He'll, he'll give you the burden, and that's why I know the destiny and the healing of Cookville is in the heart of the, of the people in Cookville. It's in your heart to bring God's kingdom to Cookville. He's created you for it. It's such a time as this. Otherwise, you wouldn't be living in the city. And he's going to hold you responsible for it. So when I went to Uganda, I felt like he branded my heart with the shape of the country. And, and when I said yes to the Lord and I went, he said, here's the Bible school, here's the vehicle, here's the keys, bye, I'm gone. That was my orientation. And I had to depend on the Holy Spirit. But I realized now I'm responsible for the place he has placed me. And I'm going to give an account for what I've done with that assignment and that city. And so I, I got to work learning from the people and, and, and asking the Holy Spirit, teach me what you want me to do. And he became my personal trainer. That's a good trainer. He's a good coach <laughs> every day. Well, I yes. think part of that story is what's so amazing because you didn't have training in leading a Bible college, but you had training in knowing God. Yes. 
and you're willing to go where God told you. And so many times when I talk to folks, it's like, well, pastor, you know, I'm an engineer. That, you know, I'm going to do my engineering. Oh, pastor, I'm a college professor. I'm going to do my college professor. I, you've got your skill and your abilities, and it seems like perhaps there's nothing more for you than what you have in front of you. And again, this is a story of someone who just said, Lord, my yes is on the table. Began crying out to the Lord, Lord, what's next? And God called her to a position that she wasn't necessarily training for, and yet God used mightily. Tell us what God did in that, that college at that time and how he used that to mobilize your next journey into Sudan. Amen. So I thought if we have revival in this school, a God-Holy Spirit encounter with 150 students, it'll shake five nations of East Africa. So we had an Esther fast. We called it for an Esther fast. My dad taught me prayer and fasting. The New Testament church prayed and fasted. And everybody in the Bible that accomplished anything for God prayed and fasted. And Matthew 17 says, this kind comes not out except by prayer and fasting. So whenever we hit up against the this kind, or whenever you do in your prayer life, an, an obstacle you just can't break through, or 30 years of praying for somebody's salvation, start fasting. It's an atomic bomb. It's Amen. a spiritual weapon. So we started praying and fasting. God poured his spirit out on that campus. And five nations of the world, uh, of, of Africa, were shaken because of those 150 students that had encounters with God and the Holy Spirit, realizing we are empowered today to do what he's called us to do. And he said in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So if we're not witnesses, then I'm going to ask myself, has the Holy Spirit come on? You have, him, you have him inside of you, but in the book of Acts, they had another infilling and another infilling and another infilling, and God added to the church daily. Isn't that powerful? And that's what he wants to do here. Mm -hmm. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he'll make you witnesses. You won't be able to be quiet. And God started turning things upside down. So some of those students lived up north where the war was. I didn't know about the war. And they said, will you come up here? I said, why are you asking me to come up here? They said, because no one else wants to go. I thought, oh, my goodness, that's what I had prayed to the Lord. Send me where no one wants to go. <laughs> be and careful said, what you pray, be huh? Be very careful <laughs> because he'll take you seriously. But you know what? It wasn't an issue because I already said yes to Jesus at salvation. And if you've said yes at salvation, that means you've said, I'm ready to deny myself. I'm ready to pick up my cross, and I'm ready to go wherever you want me to go. So there's no other discussion. Isn't it interesting that the disciples didn't bargain with Jesus when he said, drop your nets and follow me? And they go, where are we going? Where are we going to sleep? What are our benefits? Is there any 401k? <laughs> we have any retirement? When are we going to see us? It's a good thing they didn't ask that because they didn't need retirement. They all went to heaven early. And so we don't, you know, we don't have to worry about those things. You know? That's God's business, right? He'll take care of it. So I don't ask him any of these questions. I just said, let's go. And now I'm going into territories and war zones and the UN and U.S. Embassy said, you didn't just come those roads, did you? There's ambushes and blood and guts everywhere, and, and those are off limits. I said, well, they're not off limits for the book of Acts. And I said, I'm glad I didn't ask you, so here we are. <laughs> and so, um, and God saved thousands of people. So when I went up there alone in, into that war zone, I fought fear. And you know, when I fought fear that time in the cars, driving alone, nobody go with me, 
I had an encounter with the Lord again, as I, you know, every day. And he said, what are you doing? I can't use you in fear. Fear will paralyze you. What's happened with our pandemic? This, or the devil's pandemic, I should say, the last couple of years. We've been paralyzed with fear. Think about the day it started, you know. And, and when we have fear, it'll keep you from the promises of God, and it'll keep you from obeying. So I said, well, then i got to be set free of this. He said, you don't have enough love. You don't love the people you're going to win to Jesus, and you don't love me more than your own life. Fear is self-preservation. You know fear is faith, but it's faith in the wrong thing. Mm. And so he said, you don't have enough love. He read 1 John 4.18 to me. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. I said, baptize me in love. And he did. I've had so much love for the people, and I've never had fear since. And they still call me the crazy lady because I go through those, those <laughs> bullets. And, well, we had a prayer gathering up there. I said, where do I start? If, if you have a plan B in following Jesus or believing God for a miracle, you say, well, we'll try him first, and if it doesn't work, we'll do this, this, and this. Well, G- somebody said, what are you going to do with bullets flying? You get hit by a bullet. I said, well, Jesus is my plan A, and Jesus is my plan B, and <laughs> Jesus is my plan C. So when we obey him, we become his responsibility, mm. totally. And I knew I was his responsibility. And so we started praying in the middle of a war zone. Spiritual darkness in America is thick, but God is above it, and Amen. God is greater, and Amen. prayer is more powerful than Amen. anything the devil's doing. And we are put in this city in this time in June 2023 because God trusts you to use the weapons he's given you and the power of prayer to overcome the darkness around you. And I found that out in Africa because the UN said this is the worst atrocity we've seen ever. Next to Hitler, the war, 50,000 kids abducted, human sacrifices every day, this dictator, you know, a cult. So God began moving through prayer. And we had a prayer in the stadium. We called it the, the If My People Gathering. And God stopped the war. Day five, a thousand people were on their faces in the blazing sun for an if my people, just praying the word. And on day five, the government calls and said, are you those people praying in the grass field out there? I said, yeah, why? He said, we can feel heaven open. And now like a big black curtain is pulled back. And now the atmosphere has changed. What would happen if we prayed and God disarmed darkness? Mm. And an unbelieving government called us and said, we can feel the atmosphere over Cookville and over America's changed Mm -hmm. because if my people are praying and God opened heaven's little grass. Now, when you talk about that prayer, this, I mean, that was the inaugural prayer time. But one of the things that you told me that was lit my fire was that before y'all would go into any new village to bring the gospel, because these villages... I mean, are, are difficult places. Yeah. You shared that some of them are cannibals still. Some of them uh, are walking around with AK-47s, yeah. and they, they've got their territory, and it's kind of like a warlord territory. But you're sending people in there to share the gospel. Yeah. But before you do, you get together for 21 days of prayer and fasting. For, is it eight hours a day? Yes. Eight hours a day for 21 days. Yeah. Wow, that just blows my mind that, that the people are focusing and praying for that long. And you've continued that kind of prayer ministry, uh, the different places you've gone. Share with us about that, how, how the prayer and the corporate prayer 
continues to fuel the evangelism and everything else. Amen. So Jesus calls us to go to the hard places, not the easy places. I mean, we can do that too. But the hard places mean they don't have Jesus. And do you know why there's so many unreached people groups still? Because Matthew 24, 14 says this gospel must be preached to every tribe and every tongue and then the coming of the Lord. So we have an unfinished task, believers. And so we find the naked warriors. We find the headhunters. We find the cannibal tribes. We find where there's blood and guts, where the government says it's off limits. We get our maps out, literally. And that's what I used to do in, in Oklahoma City. I get the map out and say, where are all the heroin addicts? Where's the prostitution? Where's the biggest crime? Let's go. Because if you don't take light into darkness, how will darkness ever be dispelled? Amen. And so we did that. We do that in these nations. And so we fast and pray. And we found this one tribe, and it's way up on the borders of Ethiopia, hidden in the jungles, never had Jesus. They're naked headhunters and warriors, and we don't know if they're cannibal or not. And so we'll start fasting and praying, and we're going to go. Well, you know what that does? Matthew 11 says, bind the strong man and spoil the goods. Well, mm. the goods are the souls. That's Amen. what we want to rescue from darkness. Well, the strong man has to be bound. Prayer and fasting binds the strong man. And then we go out and just expect an incredible harvest. That's why today we have 1,000 indigenous missionaries, and we're seeing 10,000 to 11,000 people come to Jesus every month with discipleship Amen. today Amen. in seven countries. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. We give him the glory. The harvest is not tomorrow. Jesus said it's right now. And if we don't get it today, we're going to lose it. And so after praying and fasting, we thought we, we, we found out the area this tribe is in. We said, now it's real dangerous to get up there because there's a lot of crossfire bullets. This tribe's killing, this tribe killing. And you have to go through that, and then you have to go through the lions and the hyenas, and they eat more people than the bullets kill. <laughs> and so it's just up there, and they, okay, who wants to go? Well, our team raises their hand. Everyone raises their hand. I said, this might cost you your life. Oh, no problem. Why wouldn't we give what's temporal to gain what's eternal? Amen. And that's exactly what they say. So after praying and fasting for three weeks, we get the plane ready, hire a missionary plane. He lands them up there, in the, way up there in the jungle, and then they got two days by foot through the African jungle. Lion tracked him. He heard it. Our, our, lead, our, our team leader heard it. He, he knows the bush. He's been, he, they grew up in the jungle. And he said, I just prayed for Daniel, the book of Daniel, that God would close his mouth. And after tracking this for a while, he took off this way. Then another tribe comes with their guns and bullets. And he's got this big old bazooka cannon on his shoulders ready to blow the tribe up where, where our team is. They just go up and look him in the face and say, we're here to bring some good news so you can put your cannon down. <laughs> well, who has that authority? And he puts his cannon down. God protects him right through this bullet firing. Now, when they get up to this tribe, this tribe is stark naked, and they're all drunk. They're having some kind of a festival. They have no idea visitors are coming because nobody comes to their area. And they've never seen money. They, they barter with bullets. Very wild. But they all have guns from the bodies of dead soldiers. And they're drunk, and they're firing AK 47s and they're having a gladiator fight where two men are fighting until the, with sticks. It's called a stick fight. They're bloody until the la one dies and the one man standing gets the bride. Guys, you better be thankful you don't have to do that to get your bride. <laughs> and so that's how, but that's how they do. And so they're all drunk. Here comes our team to the edge of the village. And these, these wild natives that are stark naked except for their bullets on their neck are shocked that anybody has ever entered their village. 
and you don't know if you're going to be invited for lunch or had for lunch because <laughs> there's cannibals. You have no idea. So I'm keeping track of the team with CB radios, and we're down on our knees praying and fasting another three weeks because I said, God, I'm not eating till they come back alive. And so they, they're taken to the chief's house. Now, the chief's called a prophet, and he's the highest witch doctor in the area. And they're taken to his hut, and the chief decides whether they live or die. And when they got to the hut of the chief, he said to them, I've been waiting for you. You come on in, and what do you have to say? Now, they thought, how in this chief in the jungles that's not seen any visitors know that we're coming? Because when we were praying and fasting, God sent him a dream. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Mm -hmm. God can send a dream to the White House when you're praying and fasting. Amen. And so... <laughs> He said, what's your message? I've saved my chicken for you. Here's my chicken. And he said, and he, really, he gave him a chicken. He said, I've been waiting for you. And, and they gave him the message of the creator who had a son, and he bartered him. You've got to use the language they understand. He bartered him in exchange for your life to buy your freedom. You don't have to shed blood because he already shed his. You can be adopted. You have to use words they can understand. And the chief said, I want that. I want that God. See, God had prepared his heart in praying and fasting. As we were down there, we didn't know the chief. The Holy Spirit goes ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And so after he received Jesus in his heart, then he said, here's the village. The village is yours. You're welcome. They stayed two weeks. They had over 100 con 200 converts in that village. We baptized 100. And um, miracles, all the miracles in the book of Acts we saw. Every miracle you read about, we saw it. Mm -hmm. And then that team... Of believers in that village said, wait a minute, don't go back yet. They've been up there two weeks. They said, there's three more villages up there that don't know this message. We've got to take Jesus to them. And so they took our, our, our team to three more villages up in the mountains. That's, that's four villages come to Jesus with three weeks of prayer and fasting. I'm not talking about one soul. I'm talking hundreds. We put a church there, a Bible school there, a clinic there. We're starting a school there, and they're multiplying a missionary movement all in those jungles and into Ethiopia. That's the power of the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 You fired up a little bit? You know, um, I was praying through this yesterday, talking to my wife about it. It's like, okay, God does different things in different places around the world. And um, I don't know of any headhunting tribes that we can go visit in the jungle. But I do know a lot of hillbilly rednecks around. <laughs> and a lot of folks moving in from out of town across the street from us. And a lot of folks that we work with every day, day in and day out. And yet sometimes I'm including myself in this. I'm fearful to open my mouth because I might offend somebody or I might say the wrong thing. And this message just reminds me that the message of Christ is so life-transforming that we can't stay silent. And I, I don't know where everybody's at in here. Some of you, this may be your first time here, and uh, you got a drug problem. You got drugged to church today. And uh, by your mama, by your girlfriend, by your boyfriend, by your friend. But I just want you to know it's real. The good news of Jesus changes not just individuals, but changes whole nations. And I, if you would, because I think sometimes we think 
there's people too far from God to receive his grace. And there may be people in here today that think they're too far from God to receive the grace of God. Or that a family member or coworker or friend's too far. Cherith has a story about the, the gentleman, the, the terrorist, that God got a hold of his heart just through his supernatural power and what God did through the forgiveness of the two men that night. Amen. Would you share that story? Yes. So we were in our house of prayer. There's no distance in the spirit. When you pray, God moves in nations. God moves in your city. God moves in the lost. Power of prayer is the greatest power we can have. So we're in prayer and fasting again, this time again for three weeks. In preparation for the missionary training school, we're having bringing in 250 Arabic-speaking indigenous missionaries from seven nations to equip them farther for two months on campus. And as we were in prayer, we were praying for that and also praying for the terrorists that was killing in Khartoum. And if you watch the news, you see the war that's going on in Khartoum now. Well, there was some terrorists attacking our, our missionaries, our indigenous missionaries in Khartoum. And we didn't know the name. We didn't know anything. We just sang, God, pray for open doors for the gospel. That's how Paul told us to pray. And so we're praying for open doors for the gospel in Khartoum and these nations that are close to the gospel. And during our prayer, one of the greatest terrorists, who's an imam priest, and he's, you know, he's a long white robe and his head garb, and he was, he was the one giving the orders and instructions for the killing and the beating and the burning of churches and, and imprisoning. And God appeared to him in a dream. And he didn't know it was God. He didn't come dressed in white like Jesus might have. But it was a man that came and said, you're on the wrong side and you're going to face eternal judgment if you keep doing what you're doing. What well, scared him spitless, probably scare you too. Like eternal judgment? Because they think that killing people and terrorizing gives them points in heaven. So um, when he heard that, he kind of ignored it, terror scared him a bit. But that dream came four nights in a row. Now that dream to him in Khartoum came while we're fasting and praying for him in Juba. Amen. We don't know the guy. We're just praying for the terrorists, right? And God visits him four nights in a row. The fourth night, he says, I don't know who this is, but I want to be on the right side. And so he doesn't know what the right side is. But he said, I need the truth. So he tells his friends, his terrorist friends, I'm going to go find the right side. Well, they know he's defected. And they said, you're going to take his head. So he flees Khartoum. He comes down to Juba. That's where our mission station is. He hears Jesus being preached on the radio 24-7 in Arabic, and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Who's this truth? I want to know that. He follows the address, and it comes into our radio station. He's dressed in his Muslim garb still. He walks in. He said, anybody here I can talk to? I was in the field, but our missionary leader, Gabriel, he brings him into the office. He says, let me tell you the way and the truth and the life, and his name is Jesus. And he's on his knees weeping and receiving Jesus, the great forgiver in his heart. And then he says, I've got to go. I've got to go and tell my friends. I've got to go right now and rescue them to the other terrorists. And Gabriel says, you can go, but you've got to get discipled. You've got to get cleaned up a little bit. So he said, we've got a school starting in two weeks, in two days. You join our missionary training school. All of this is happening while we're praying. Can you believe that? What God can do when he finds his church on their knees. And he can change governments and history. And so, so, so the gentleman comes in, Mujahid comes in to, to the beginning of our missionary training school, just born again. And, and he comes up to me the, that day. He said, can I give my testimony, please? I said, of course you can. So the next day, morning at, at, at 
prayer time, morning devotion, in front of all these, you know, roomful, he comes up with two Sudanese men, one under each arm. And he says, gives his whole testimony, as I've just told you, how he met Jesus and the truth. And he said, I'm here to be trained, and I'm going to go give my life to the terrorists in the northern countries of Africa. And he said, and this gentleman found me here yesterday, and he said, you don't know me, but I know you. He said, you gave orders for my church to be burned. You gave orders for me to be beaten and killed, but I escaped. And he said to Majahi, I just want you to know that I've forgiven you, and I want to go with you to reach your people. And then he said, and this gentleman on my right, and these were our pastors that had been through persecution. God spared their life. This one on the right, he said, he found me yesterday. And he said, you don't know me, but I know you. You gave orders for my parents to be killed because of Christianity. You had me beaten, thrown in prison, and were going to have me executed. And I was able to escape. And he said, and I've forgiven you, and I want to go with you to reach your people. And then we sit there weeping because there's nothing God can't forgive. Amen. And he's after turning murderers into missionaries. It doesn't matter your past. It matters your future. And what we're going to do with Jesus today. Amen. 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 Sounds like a book title, Murderers to Missionaries. Um, I just want you to know the power of God is real. It's real here in Cookville, Tennessee. It's real in Uganda. There's no place that God can't move. But God also won't force himself in. He'll draw you. He'll love you. He'll convict you. But he won't force you to follow. That's the choice you and I have to make. And I want to give you that chance this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. And I'm going to ask Carol, would you go down, down front as well? We're going, to have, uh, we're going to have our staff will be over here to the right. And if you, if you want to give your life to Christ today, if you want to meet this all-powerful, awesome God and begin to follow then come up here to my right and come talk to one of our staff members and let them pray with you and encourage you. If you want to just talk to the Lord one-on-one and just talk with him and have no one pray with you, then the left side over here, you can just come and kneel. And maybe you want to come and call out the names. And we still have a couple of spaces up here to write more names on the on the platform for people that you're praying for to come to know Christ. Maybe there's just somebody that... You have felt like, no, they're too far gone. They're just too far gone. Listen, if God can can rescue a terrorist and give them dreams four nights in a row, God can touch anybody. Now, who knows? He might have given those same dreams to everyone that was in his circle, and he's the only one that obeyed. Because, again, God will not force anyone to follow but I do believe God will offer to everybody. And today, if you're here and you've never been born again into the life of Jesus Christ, you've never said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm all in. I give you my all. And I want to invite you to do that this morning. 
So as, as Ethan plays, you come. And either Carol or myself or someone up here can pray with you, or you can come here. Or maybe, maybe you're really wrestling with something that you need to unpack. We'll have the prayer room open for you as well in the back to my left. And they'll take as long as you need to talk and pray. So as Ethan plays, you come and you do what God tells you to do. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit therivercc.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.